welcome to One Thing. Uh, This is an extra for Three Things Podcast where we talk a little about a book or about a saint or some sort of interesting fact about our faith. And today we are going to discuss Elizabeth Ann Seton since she is the very first American saint and today is the 4th of July. Well, I'm kind of excited for today. Yes. It's been I, a fun conversation. I don't know much about Elizabeth Hansen. Well, and I don't know much either. I actually was hoping to do some sort of research and find an amazing early Catholic warrior soldier ninja, but uh, couldn't find one of those. Um, so I found Elizabeth Ann Seton. But I did find, so I'm going to start this out with a little piece of information, Jason, about the early colonies. Okay. Um, The early colonies did not have a whole lot of Catholics, by the way. Um, At the time of the American Revolution, there were only 35,000 Catholics, which actually formed only 1.2% of the population. Wow. Which... I imagine if you if you if we you know if you think about how we all learned about the pilgrims and the Puritans, it's not shocking that there were only one point two percent Catholics. You know. Well, I, I think too part right isn't um, like isn't part of the reason why they uh, left England to come um, to the United States was to kind of get away from the whole Catholic Anglican, you know fights and you know governments and <laughs> or a government that was mer- all about a, a religion right right? Right, right right so i mean i i can't imagine that they're like hey catholics come join us over in the colony because you're the very kind of people we're trying to get away from <laughs> trying to run away from i didn't think about that i mean yeah but i mean yeah. I'm, I'm glad they were here don't get me wrong yeah. they must have sh- i mean there was something about that i'm sure we're you know religious freedom and all that great stuff yes. but but I just can't imagine they got like invitations on the first. No, in fact, we're going to find out through this podcast today that they weren't exactly liked, tolerated, or appreciated very much. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So, um, I did find out though that Maryland, the colony of Maryland at the time, was where the majority of the 1.2 percent of the Catholics lived. Wait a minute, Maryland. Oh, well, that's sweet, isn't it? But that's not why it's called Maryland. Do you know why it's called Maryland? Yeah, it was a, a Queen Mary. No, not, yeah. not Holy Queen Mary. No, no. And um, I found this family called the Carroll family. And the Carroll family lived in Maryland, pretty important people. In fact, um, John Carroll was the very first, was the very first bishop, Catholic bishop, in the United States. Um, He was a bishop in 1789, but John's brother was a founding father that signed the Constitution, and John and his brother's cousin, Charles, signed the Declaration of Independence. So this Carroll family was uh, very involved in this birth of the new nation. Yes, in the birth of the new nation. Very cool. In our fight for freedom. And they were Catholic. And they were Catholic family, yes. Which is interesting because before the American Revolution, in many of the colonies, there was kind of a law that did not allow Catholics to be, um, to participate in politics. Uh, Well, would you say could hold public office? Right, couldn't hold public office, be a mayor, be a, be a, be, be a representative. Sure. Um, but they could vote. The, well, yes. But remember, pre-revolution, there really wasn't any voting, there wasn't right? Voting. 
So anyway. Well, how did you become a mayor pre-revolution? You were appointed. Oh, by the king? Yeah. Yes. Why we got away from that, right? I think, I don't know, I'm a little, I'm a little confused. I, obviously, uh, my knowledge of uh, colonial America is kind of limited, so I need to read some more books. Yes. And I bet I can find you some. Yay. <laughs> So let's get to Elizabeth Ann Seaton, okay, well, by the way. So how is she connected to the Carroll family? Well, you'll hear about that later. Okay. Okay. So Elizabeth Ann Seaton um, was born in 1774. So right before, I mean, she was just a wee little thing, right before the re- revolution began. She was born to a very wealthy family. Mm-hmm. They were loyalists. Okay. Um, they were Episcopalian. Okay. And her and her father had an especially close bond, kind of because her mother died when she was young, but also because her father and she both uh, loved learning, lifelong learners. And so she grew up reading Rousseau and Voltaire. Okay. Was she formally educated or no? Through her father. Through her father. Yes. Um, Then Elizabeth, when she was 20, she married a merchant from another wealthy family in in the colony of yes yes no this was new york city sorry oh, new york city and um this young man and elizabeth they say the writers of history and the and the researchers say it was a wonderful love marriage like oh. they really really loved each other and also that these two wealthy families you know they were kind of the hoity-toity you know, they would have been on the. Uh, they would have been on. What? What is that? Page six of the. Yeah, or something like that. Like that. Yeah. Everybody would have been following. It would, it would have been doing. in the gossip columns. Yes. Right. right? Mm-hmm. They'd been talking about. Going to their wedding would have been, you know, a feather in your cap. Yes. And somebody would have wrote about what you wore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what Elizabeth wore to her wedding <laughs> would have been very important. <laughs> so, um, Elizabeth and her husband uh, ha- had. So many bad things happened right away. Right after they got married? Yes, after they got married and they had um, a couple kids, uh, Elizabeth's husband, her father-in-law, her husband's father, he died. And um, Elizabeth's husband had a lot of other half-siblings that needed to be cared for. And so now he is in charge of this family business and all the money and the care well and the care of all of, of his, his half siblings, siblings right. yes which was a huge strain on elizabeth trying to do her best you know take care of her own household and now well because these Anne's extra... mom had died right so and then Aunt, uh, elizabeth ann seaton's husband's father died. died that's kind of a common theme in these early stories about in this time period, right? People yeah. just did not live very no, long. No, they did not live very long. So, um, Elizabeth and her husband, the business kind of started to fail. He just couldn't keep it together. And um, they were looking at a bankruptcy. Her husband was incredibly worried about um, penal, uh, what do you call it? That where you go to work your debt off workhouse debtor's prison, debtor's prison. <laughs> oh you looked at me funny when i said that i meant penal code but anyway um debtor's prison he was worried he was going to go to debtor's prison and but what happened instead is he got very sick with tuberculosis and so he didn't have to go to debtor's he prison. didn't go to debtor's prison <laughs> but they were you know losing their money and the doctor said that maybe a good idea would to be go to italy 
and he would get better. I guess the air in Italy oh, might yes. cure tuberculosis, sure. right? Good. Well, that wasn't an uncommon treatment back then. And while her husband is sick with tuberculosis in this, you know, what are we going to do about her husband's illness? Uh, Anne's father dies. Oh, my goodness. So then Anne's part of the inheritance is you know just stuff really and so she sells all of the things that she gets from her father in order to pay for the trip to Italy okay so they leave four of their children no they take the children with them they leave a couple of the older children behind because they don't need to go to Italy and Anne and her husband travel to Italy Um, as soon as they get there they are quarantined because the yellow fever has been um, rampant in in New York and so they make them quarantine for six weeks before they'll let them see anyone. And of course, her husband's getting worse during this quarantine. And then as soon as they are um, released from quarantine, I think it's a couple weeks later, he dies. Now, the people, the connection up there in Italy was also a merchant, another merchant that was a friend of Anne's husband. And these people were Catholic and they um, were helping Anne and her husband through trying to get them out of quarantine early, you know, and just helping them with language, whatever. And they introduced Catholicism to Anne Seton, who before that had always, I mean, Episcopalian, yes, but in New York City, she kind of grew up with this tolerance and appreciation of other religions as well, right? She was always curious. But that's kind of, I mean, if you lived in the United States at the time, that was kind of the expectation too. Kind of, yes. I mean, it is the place for religious freedom, right? So you should get several different religions, right? So um, so she's naturally curious about Catholicism as well. And um, the thing that wowed her was the beauty, first off, which I think we could all agree. The beauty of the liturgy, the, the beauty of the church. The beauty of just the church right. in, I mean, in oh, Italy. Oh, just being able to right? go to all these amazing yes. churches, right? And then she was especially moved by the doctrine of trans transubstantiation she really um she really the idea that uh that the real presence was right there i mean she this is what actually drew her to the catholic church and then eventually converted her yes but so her husband has passed away in Italy and she stays a little bit longer in the care of these people who then begin to kind of form her. They instruct her on Catholicism. She and goes, her kids are still living with her. Mm-hmm. And her kids go with her and they are with this family for a while, not a long time, but enough that she's learning about the Catholic faith. And when she comes back to New York City, you know, she is coming back to nothing. You know, she's got a house still but that financial situation is in dire straits. Um, She comes back, lives in her house a little bit, worried they're going to take away the house. And all of the people in New York that remember her and are eager to see her again find out that she's been going to the Catholic Church in Italy. And they do not like this. It upsets them greatly. Oh, sure. Um, She loses the house. I mean, it was eventual, right? And her family then takes her in. And I thought there was a, a cute story that her sister, um, her her sister, they financially took care of Anne and her kids. And the sister respected Anne's faith choice enough that she cooked fish every Friday for Anne and the kids, which I thought was kind of sweet. But... Um, 
She eventually converted then in 1805. In to, the United States. Mm-hmm, in the United States. And I wonder how that worked back then. See, that's, there's an interesting idea there. Anyway. Like, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. There wasn't a formal RCIA process, so I, or was it? I don't. I can't remember all the history of RCIA and how it all came about. And, oh, you know, yeah. So I just wonder, you know, did she just show up at Mass one day and the priest go, Hey, you want to become a Catholic? Yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> or did she have to go through a formation process? Did she have to go through uh, different stages? I, again, I, again, I have to admit the one thing about uh, these one thing... Uh, on our Three Things podcast is they just seem to evidence the things that I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know directly for sure either, but I would like to to guess that they did have a process to join the church. I think, I think that, that I honestly her, think given her short amount of, of formation she was receiving in Italy, right? And then she'd come over and, and I think she met a priest and was going to that church and then kind of learned some more yeah. but it might have just been a priest to Anne, like a one-on-one sure, come kind on of in. thing yeah, i don't know so after she uh converts um she is also in need of a job so she has to start earning some money so she could take care of her children and um in a short period of time she had three different jobs okay. so the first job she decided um, she got a little home and she decided to start a school for girls because back then when you were one of those wealthy widows that's what you did now let's remember she's not necessarily wealthy anymore but her name her family name is worth something so she started a little home uh, a school for girls in the house but then people found out she had converted to Catholicism and that worried them so they backed out and they pulled their girls out of the school they did not want her proselytizing to their children so her second job was there was a protestant school so she joined the protestant school and was just going to teach school there but then that school financially went under so she lost her job there then her third job was uh, a boarding house for boys so now she'll just have young boys come and live at the house but um by the time she started that particular business two of her sister-in-laws converted to catholicism and now the whole community is all in an uproar that like Anne is just out converting people and so they didn't want their boys living in the boarding house and so Anne had to shut that down as well okay well can we just her sister-in-law i'm going to assume the two of them didn't convert by accident well no Right, so Anne, I'm again, Elizabeth Ann Seaton was probably most likely influential in that <laughs> yes. that uh, conversion experience. I'm sure that. she was. I'm sure she so was. So she's she's actively recruiting, <laughs> <laughs> but within her family, yeah, right? It's right. it's not evangelizing, yes. right? The world around her. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. The world around her. her and people world. are seeing this, and they're getting. We, we don't want no. Kids growing up Catholics. Right. We don't want that. Okay. So, Anne, um, Anne, uh, then in 1808, she decides that she's going to, um, with her sister, sister in-laws, she's going to start a, um, sisterhood. And so she did. It's called the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph. Um, she moved to Maryland in order to start this. Go figure. But yeah, she left New York. And this was the very first um, 
the very first sisterhood in the United States at the time. So this order, order. of women. Mm-hmm. Order of women. Were established and approved by the Pope and all yes. those things. And this was the first one in the United States. Mm-hmm. And in fact, cool. that this, um, this group of men called the, oh, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, the Sulspicians or something, that is another order, and they came over and helped her start this. They had fled France from the Reign of Terror during the French Revolution, came over, helped her uh, start this order with the idea of St. Vincent de Paul's Daughters of Charity, that it would mimic that kind of um, sisterhood, and so true they did even though they're called the sisters of charity it's about orphans and educating children and caring for the poor is what they do but here's the connection to the carroll family so when she um, and her sisters started this order she was then um, made mother Anne seaton or mother seaton by that bishop carroll oh the yeah. first bishop. The, the first United bishop States. in the United in States. Maryland. In Maryland. And from Maryland, yes. And he uh, made her mother Seton. And in, at this time, they made a provision for her to continue to care for her own children because she still had her small children that she was, she was um, in need of caring for. Okay. So it was during this time um, in 1808 at the start of this new place she has at this point she's converted her sister-in-laws and um you know she grew up episcopalian she is tolerant of other religions but she really has this um uh this need to share with people that the catholic faith has the you know has the real presence of jesus and um but she also encounters of course all these people who are anti-catholic right so she she Believes, or she started to believe that no one person could ever persuade another person to believe anything. Like it just occurred to her. There's, you can never on your own, just one person, right? Just talk to another person and persuade them to completely change their mind. She must not have been having very good luck, right? So she then decided her ethos would be that she's going to live her faith rather than proclaim it. And in this way would be her way of evangelizing, right? She's going to live her faith, and others will see how she lives it, and therefore might want to be like that. Sure. And I, I think that's, I think that's interesting. I don't know. I like that idea. You don't have to go out and proclaim it all the time. But you just have to live it, and maybe people then learn from example. Okay. So I guess the idea here that the. the kind of takeaway I was I was getting from Ann Seton is that um, she is our first American saint Mm -hmm. and so there should be a connection there to what it means to be American kind of and I think that she she shows that you know she was Episcopalian she was um, tolerant of new ideas tolerant of other religions was living in this country that really wanted to um, a freedom to practice whatever religion they wanted to and she was able to do that right she was even able to convert from Episcopalian to Catholic without you know going to jail or, or being burned at the stake sure. or yeah right. and um, and then she even learned 
that she can't go out and really proselytize the way she would like to because it you know offends other people and it's just not going to work that way Mm -hmm. for her so i i guess i was thinking how um in america that that's kind of one of the special things right that we coexist with one another and the guy that lives next to you could be you know a muslim and the guy on the other side to you is an episcopalian and and all of you go to the barbecue together right um that but i guess maybe and then again, in my limited knowledge of history, that wasn't that was a new concept for the new land, right? Um, and I'm sure, it, I, not that everyone showed up here and got buddy buddy, but that was the ideal, right? Um, but we know that it didn't always work that out way out of practice. In in reality, um, people still tended to group together in, yes. in their own yes. faiths and in their own ways, and and pushed away or isolated against I mean mean, that goes on today it goes on today which I think is what's interesting right that we all believe in freedom to practice the religion that you choose but we still bump up on it in an uncomfortable way all the time and um, that that coexistence is never going to be easy right right? and it uh, you can't just not have a like you can't just have a lack of prejudice, right? You can't say, "Why well, I'm not prejudiced against them," and you can't just um, say, "Why well, I'm very civil to them," and that makes it okay. It just requires a little more work than that. It's okay, not well, that well, easy to coexist, I guess. Okay, well, and I'm not a real big fan of coexist. I don't like that word much. Oh. Um, I don't know. It reminds me of that bumper sticker. Oh, I don't know. If I didn't even think about that bumper I know. sticker. And I think that's cool, but then I don't. Okay. Um, well, I just think it. I don't know. So I guess wasn't there a quote? Or there's that quote, right? That freedom to it's freedom to practice your religion until it bump up against someone else's or interf- that interferes with their ability to practice their religion. Yeah, what's what's that quote? Well, I don't know, but you're very close. I've heard it before. You keep thinking about that. But, so, here's what I was going to say. That, um, when we express our faith, sometimes it can feel like it's fulfillment of our religious liberty. Mm-hmm. But, to another person, it could be a violation of theirs. Isn't that just what I just said? <laughs> Isn't that that's the no, exact that's not what, the quote. That's was, the exact thing I just said. I was trying to You were look looking at, for the cute say quote. Say that again. Say that again. All right. So, an expression of faith or expressing our faith can feel like the fulfillment of religious liberty, right? To one person, but then it's a violation to another person. So, to put that into perspective, let's talk about Anne Seton then. So an example would be that she is this Catholic who's teaching the little, these young girls. She needs a job. She's teaching them. It was a secular thing, right? But she, the fulfillment of her Catholic faith, she wanted to share that with these young girls. And I'm sure back then that religion was very important in schooling, more so than today. And so for her, it would be her Catholic faith that she's talking about to these young girls. But it's a violation to their parents because their parents aren't Catholic. See, and so well, that's where that it becomes difficult to live in that situation. 
It was a violation to them, but it was a fulfillment to ANSI. And would you say that's a that's kind of a vi violation of the intent and the purpose of the forming of the new country, right? That we had this freedom to practice religion, this freedom of religion, and then to have somebody, uh, for lack of a better term, evangelize, proselytize your children in a school is against that that idea mm -hmm. that somewhere along the grant way we should be able to send our children to a school or to an institution and not have to be worried that they're going to be enticed or be mandated or uh, compelled or forced to mm -hmm. to uh, convert to a, a different religion right and I imagine not at that very moment that that happened, but that reasoning is why we have a separation of church and state. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, you know, so she she couldn't teach her Catholic background in a secular school. Although I would not say it was secular, more it was just Protestant, yeah, right? And so at that time it was. But, but I will say then, Anne Seton's group, the Sisters of Charity, what they did was they started the very first Catholic school. Right, there you go. And started, okay, fine, we'll, we'll teach in a Catholic setting then. But again, I think you kind of get that emphasis right again, right? The idea is um, to, to let your life and your actions and how you treat in others be your witness of your faith be your testimony of your faith um, and that so I mean I, you know I, there's something about that right I think there's something about that that's very relevant for today as well yes yes you know it it it, it takes work right um, I think that being a citizen in America and enjoying the freedoms that we have, it isn't easy. It takes a lot of work. You can't just... Well, you, you brought the point up either, or earlier. You brought the point up earlier that it's not just enough to say, I'm tolerant of this person's mm -hmm. religion. Um, I, I, there has to be an action that follows that. Um, there has to be something, you know, an investment in that individual regardless of their faith, right? An investment in your neighbor and then the well-being of your neighbor with your actions, uh, irregardless of their faith. Right. Yeah. I wonder if that could, the same principle could be applied for politics. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. You know it's know scary. I mean? Can we like someone who is in a it's different, different political Yeah, who wears a different color shirt. I don't know. Yeah. So Elizabeth Anstey, the first American U.S. saint, yes, uh, established the first Catholic school mm -hmm. in the United States in Maryland. In Maryland, started the first order, order. of women, and the sisterhood. When was she um, canonized? She was canonized in 1975, and um, but she died in 1821, and she was only 47 yeah. years. So she died of tuberculosis. Of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, kind of very Edgar Allan Poe there. Well, but, yeah, but still. I mean, everyone died early in those days. Yeah. 
Anyway, so that is my great story about Elizabeth Ann Seton. Not a ninja, not a warrior, a quiet leader, perhaps. Um, well, tenacious. She sure. wasn't going to give up. She, um, she dealt with people not liking her because of her faith. And they were friends of hers, and that's got to be difficult. And I guess what I'm thinking of, give her credit for taking advantage of a new nation, of a new idea. Yeah. The idea that people of different religions can live in the same country and still, you know, get along, right? I mean, we can go back to the all the you know the European and you know histories and Protestants killing that and martyring mm-hmm. this and Catholics in turn and mm-hmm. vice versa. And, and don't forget histories. killing the Jews for centuries, right. yeah. Right, right, right. And so all of a sudden to show up in a in a new country with the idea that we can all live together. Mm-hmm. I you know we know from our U.S. history that idea has never been all you know fully, completely, and entirely embraced and practiced. True. But the idea is there. True, it yeah. is there. And so wouldn't it be cool to do a time machine, go back to really listen to just people talking on the street as they're exchanging these ideas about how to build a new country and what the meaning really was because I do think that it we don't fully understand what our founding fathers were hoping for right because you know we can only look at their documents and figure that out oh I wanted to say too one of the great things I liked about the story of, of Elizabeth Ann Seton is that she had a great love of her life and too often when we read about hagiographies about saints, it's the girl, you know, was raped or she was forced to marry some ogre or, you know, and or her husband was a drunk and beat her all the time. Something awful, but this one was not like she that. She married the love of her life. She married the love of they her life. They had a wonderful baby. They, they had were, doing kids that she loved. She just lost all her money and... Lost her husband. Lost her husband and, and became a mother Seton. And followed yes. the path of God. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I got to tell you, I think I have a new appreciation uh, of uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton. Okay. Did we discover if Seton Hall was founded after? Oh, I didn't even look that up. Did you look that up? I did find out that she is the patron saint of schools, widows, and seafarers. And I did find a prayer, a prayer too, that included troubled teens which i thought i don't think she was a troubled teen but i think they thought she was because she lost her mother well no but that was their mission wasn't it i mean if you're to take care of orphans and troubled teens yes yes i think those two things she would think as for me as a high school teacher didn't uh uh, forgot the the great novel dickinson and the orphans oh oliver twist yeah i mean isn't that kind of going hand that orphans and I have another time. There you go. So <laughs> before, who knows? That's another whole conversation. Well, Christina, I learned something. Well, good. I'm glad. Okay. And as always, I want to thank people for listening to yep. our one thing. Thank you for listening. Have a good fourth.